Shalom, and welcome to Israel Policy Pod. I'm Evan Gottesman. And I'm Eli Koaz. We're going to be discussing today many of the tensions and issues, including annexation, threats to democracy, and institutionalized discrimination, which Israel is facing right now. And our guest, who we're going to be introducing momentarily, has really been at the forefront in trying to forge a better and more equitable society over there. But we can't discuss all of this without acknowledging what's happening closer to home for many of us here in the United States. Uh, We have a lot of work, and that's an understatement, uh, to do in confronting racism and anti-democratic trends here in America. So for all of our listeners joining us from the U.S., I hope that you're safe. And now on to today's program. So our guest today, we're happy to be joined by Vadir Kamal Mrich. Uh, Radir is a member of Knesset for Yeshatid. She was first elected in April of last year as part of the Kaholavan party. Before that, she was a television journalist and anchored programs in Hebrew on Israel's Channel One and in Arabic for Israel Channel 33, the Public Broadcasting Corporation. She has marked a number of firsts. She was the first Israeli Druze woman elected to the Knesset and the first Israeli Druze woman to anchor a Hebrew-language news program. So, clearly a very impressive resume. Uh, Ladir, thank you for taking the time out to speak with us. Before we jump into more recent developments in Israel, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your background and also your Druze community in Israel? First of all, thank you for having me. Uh, maybe we'll start uh, actually with the short introduction about uh, Druze, who we are. So there are uh, 1.5 million Druze members around the world. Uh, we live in the Middle East. There are also Druze in uh, Europe, in, the, in South America, and also in the USA. Um, in the Middle East, there are Druze in uh, Jordan, in Syria, and Lebanon, and also in Israel. Here, there are 150,000 Druze members. Um, we are considered to be the most uh, loyal minority in Israel. We draft uh, into army in the highest percentage, which is 82%. It is higher even compared, uh, when you compare it, it, it is even higher than the one in the uh, Jewish sector. Uh, we have very unique uh, identity um, of internal marriages. We live in mountains. Uh, we are a very conservative and patriarchal society. Uh, and I think that the most important fact is uh, that we don't have any national or uh, uh, we don't have any national uh, or territorial aspiration. Uh, that means uh, we are loyal at first to the country that we were born in. That's why Jews, Israeli soldiers, uh, were, fought in the past in wars in Israel against their brothers, against uh, a Lebanese or Syrian Jewish soldiers, because you are loyal at first uh, to your country. That's interesting. And I, I was just going to raise that point, because as you mentioned, there's, there's Jews in Lebanon, Jews in, in Syria, and in the neighboring countries. Um, and so coming from this community, what got you into to journalism first and then into politics? It's a very interesting question because, you know, I believe that uh, even without knowing, I broke two glass ceilings, ceilings at least. At first, by working in media and by being an anchor woman, and I was the first non-Jewish woman to broadcast news in Israel. 
and uh, I work in IBA, in Israeli uh, Broadcasting Authority, in IPBC, in the Israeli Broadcasting Corporation. And um, by that, I understood that uh, it is not easy at all living, you know, in a patriarchal society and uh, being an anti woman. And after that, uh, when I was an, a candidate and when I ran my first campaign, you know, we had three in one year. Um, it wasn't easy at first. And I thought to myself, why do I need it? And, and I understood by, that by journalism, I can influence much lesser. You know, by journalism, you can uh, um, focus and address and uh, discuss uh, issues and no more. Uh, and by my working as MK, I can actually uh, legislate laws and I can put the pressure in the right places and I can, can uh, cooperate and work with the, um, with the right people in order to achieve my goals. I think that this is the, the main goal of being and working uh, in the political uh, arena. Now, let's move to talk about that because... A few months ago, it looked like you may be in a party that is part of the coalition, and now you're in the opposition. You started your career, as we mentioned, as a member of Benny Gantz's Hossein Lee Israel faction, which he created last January, which was part of the Kaholavan alliance. And now when Kaholavan split up and Gantz joined the Netanyahu government, which he promised not to time and time again during the multiple election campaigns, you switched sides or sided with Yair Lapid's Yashatid party in the opposition. Can we talk about why you made that decision? Obviously, the nation-state law uh, was something that Benny Gantz promised would be corrected, and that was something that was very important to the Druze community. They had big issues with that. I remember being in a major rally in Rabin Square full of uh, Israelis, and the Israeli Druze community. Let's talk about how how you came to that this decision. I know it's a loaded question, so so take take your time. Okay, so I lie. My my goals are very clear. I I know from very early stage what are the challenges because these are challenges that I face. At first, being a woman and living in uh, the periphery of Israel, I live in Dalat el Carmel, which is located uh, in the north of Israel, near the city of Haifa. I know what are the challenges of people that, that people in my community are facing. And I told Benny Gantz from the first day, I'm coming in order to work for equality. And we had the nation-state law that the Knesset passed in 2018. And I said, okay, this is basic law, this is important law, but this is a law that the purpose of this, it was to, you know, to, to say that Israel is the historic homeland of the Jewish people. I said, no problem with that. All of us know that this is fact. All of us respect that. I don't have any problem with the country, not with the anthem, nor with the flag. I respect my country, and I know that this is the country of the Jewish people. 
But we don't have in this law the equality value. The word equality doesn't exist in this important law. So I told Benny Gantz from the first day that this is my first goal to try to fix the the national state law and to add the equality value. And suddenly, two months ago, when there was the negotiation with the, between Kahol Lavan, between Benny Gantz and between the Likud party with Benjamin Netanyahu, suddenly Gantz told me, I can't. I can just say I would like to do that one day, but I can't give any uh, commitment. And I said, I cannot be part of this government. So this was very important condition that I put in order to be part of this government. So I have understood that this government is not going to work really for minorities. I know the challenges. I know the problems. I worked as a journalist. I knew exactly what I am talking about. We are talking about very problematic laws, like Kamenitz law, law that started and promoted enforcement against in illegal structures instead of giving solutions and because we are suffering from lack of land, because we don't have land to build on our homes. So instead of giving me solutions, instead of giving me commitments and say, I will work on these problems, he said, I can't. That's why I said, I also can't be part of this corrupted government. And, you know, it was very tough decision to make. I really understand the importance of being in the coalition, of being minister and of influencing. And I know that this is much more power for me sitting as a minister in this coalition. But on the other hand, I understood that this is very problematic coalition. Look what happened. It took them two months in very complicated negotiation uh, between two sides, um, two different sides with a total lack of trust. They were so suspicious. They they are coming from different agendas. Of course, I'm talking about the Cholavan and the Likud. They came with different visions, with different goals, and with the, with different agendas. Cholavan and Benigan said from the first day, Israel is nihakol, Israel above all that Banu Leshanot, we came to change. To change, it means we are coming to change uh, the regime, the corruption. We are going to fight against that. We are coming to keep Israel uh, as a strong democracy. We are coming to protecting the democratic values. And, and suddenly, I saw that Benny Gantz, uh, he, he gave up. He just said, I want to be part of this coalition. and. Um, it was very hard to see that. It was very hard to see. Personally, I can say I, 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 it was one year full of very hard campaigns. And suddenly you see that your vision and your goal and your dreams um, are not going to, 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 to come uh, to come true. Now, was that something that the Druze community, have they supported your move for the most part and were they also as disappointed as you obviously not every Druze Israeli but in general what impressions did you get I can tell you that the reactions um, were different most of the people just say oh it's wonderful because finally we can have MK that could really stand and say enough is enough 
you cannot just promise and say, I want to change the world. And day after the election, you will just uh, change your mind. I say, yes, I wanted to do that, but I can't. Uh, I can tell you that most of my community just say, this is very important step that you did. It's a step that in the future uh, will help us to work in a better way with the government. Yeah. And before I pass it to Evan for a question, I just want, want to note that um, a very courageous decision that you made, because assuming you did decide to stay with uh, Benny Gatz and Koholaban, there's a very high chance that you could be a minister today. And we have almost all the Koholaban members that joined the government are now ministers, obviously a government that has the most ministers in Israel's history, even a minister of, of water. We've gone, <laughs> we've talked about that on our previous podcast. Yes, it wasn't that easy at all to say no to this uh, to, to, to this job, to be a minister in Israel. But on the other hand, I'm talking about leadership, about values. And remember, we are in a crisis in Israel in the, and in the world. We are dealing with uh, both health and the economic crisis. In Israel, we have uh, now more than one million people who are unemployed and the, the sectors that were affected the most were the self-employed, were the, the small businesses. And look what happened. Suddenly we got government uh, which with, with a huge amount of, uh, of the ministers. We have now 34 ministers with eight deputies. And believe me, we do not need this amount of jobs. Uh, they created offices. They uh, separated uh, ministries, and we don't need it. This money, this budget, we are talking about half billion shekels. And believe me, this is a huge amount when we are talking about Israel uh, in a crisis, specifically in a crisis. And instead of giving this budget and this money to the people who are thirsty to, to take it, we are giving and creating jobs. And I'm against that. Right. And it seems that with the economic crisis, the need is to, to create jobs for people, not to create superfluous ministries to, you know, give 30 some MKs uh, an office that might not even actually have an institution underneath it. I mean, we made the comparison that Eli mentioned on a previous episode, uh, to the, the old Monty Python, the Ministry of Silly Walks. Um, I want to echo what Eli said also about your decision. It's, it's very, impressive and, and admirable, but so now you're in the opposition, right? This is now the way things have fallen, the way they've played out. So has that shifted your your goals or, or your objectives in terms of what you want to accomplish as a member of Knesset? And what are you seeking to do as a member of the opposition? Not at all. Um, my goals are, are clear and I still have my goals and I, I, I started by trying to fix the nation-state law, I know that now I need to work much harder in order to achieve my goals because, you know, being in the opposition is a little more complicated. But, uh, you know, through my work as MK and through my work as a uh, member of uh, the committees, I, I'm a member of the Internal Affairs and Environment Committee and the, and the, com the Special Committee on the, uh, Eradicating Crime in the Arab Sector and the Committee on the Status of 
uh, women and gender equality and uh, working in the parliamentary field with uh, and cooperating, you know, this is at the end of the day, it's like a game, the political arena and cooperating with MKs from different uh, uh, parties. Um, trust me, I know how to do it. And I believe that any person, it doesn't matter in any field, in which field you are, if you are diligent and if you are consistent and if, if your goals are clear and your agenda uh, is clear, so you will achieve at the end uh, of the day your goal. I want to move now to one of the other issues that the the government in Israel and the opposition are both confronting right now. And we've spoken about some of the domestic issues in Israel, the questions of equality, Um there is this looming question in terms of Israel's relationship with the Palestinians and the prospect for West Bank annexation, some kind of move to formally absorb parts of the West Bank into Israel, potentially under the auspices of the plan released by the Trump administration. Some of your former colleagues from Kakol Lavan, who are now in the government, in recent days have, at least in word, have broken ranks with the government and said maybe they oppose unilateral annexation, they're opposed to unilateral moves. Do you feel that they can make a meaningful opposition to annexation from within the government? And how are you looking to approach this question as a member of Knesset? At first, the, the statements that we are hearing from Kaholavan members, you know, it, it's very bad. I don't agree with the deal of the century. I don't agree in annexation. I studied international relations. And, you know, history taught us that any uh, unilateral steps are bad, are wrong. I do believe, still believe, that the the best way to reach and seek uh, peace here in the region, and especially when we are talking about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, you know, this is very complicated conflict. This is both uh, territorial and religious conflict. And I think the best way, still the best way uh, to reach peace is honest and direct negotiation with the Palestinian side. Uh, we can do it um, uh, with the help uh, and with the cooperation, you know, in, in larger uh, umbrella, with the help of the uh, moderate or the uh, pragmatic uh, Arab or Sunni countries, uh, um, from the, for example, the Gulf states, I believe that it could be helpful uh, step that we can use or can do. But thinking, thinking that annexation, thinking that. Uh, you can build your country, you can build your Zionist dream uh, by bridges and by tunnels is wrong. I understand the importance of the eastern border, of uh, keeping the eastern uh, border safe and to ensure the security of the eastern side of Israel. But think about the dangerous uh, consequences that we could have if we could implement uh, the deal of the century as is. Think about the sensitive relationship that we have with the Jordanian kingdom, about the sensitive cooperation in all levels, including in the security highest levels. And thinking about the dangerous uh, uh, um, effect on the people, because at the end of the day, we are talking about people's life, about he people's um, civil rights, 
And it's wrong. It could be in the future. The deal of the century could be in the future um, such of a basis uh, in future negotiation. But trying to implement this deal as is in Israel is wrong and is dangerous for us, at Israel, for Israel at first. And just following up on that, I mean, as, as we were talking about before, you've seen, though, some members of Kahol Lavan who are now in the government, most recently Asaf Zamir, also Gabi Ashkenazi, the, the, now the foreign minister of Israel, have hinted that maybe they're, they're not as supportive of annexation as their other colleagues in the government. Do you feel that they can make a, a meaningful stand from that position, or do you feel that, that members of the opposition maybe are better positioned to push back against such a move? I don't know how much power we have in order to push back, because think about it, this is a very strong coalition. And I'm really sorry to hear the statements that I am hearing from uh, my colleagues from Kaholavan, because I know that they, they don't agree with that. They don't believe in that. They don't believe in this deal. And they understand the dangers of this deal. I don't... Unfortunately, I think that at the end they will agree. They will they will vote uh, uh, with this uh, law, and if we if it will come in one month, so they will agree with that. And it's very bad because this is against everything they believe in. Uh, I don't think that as uh, opposition in this uh, constellation we can succeed to do anything. Unfortunately. It's definitely tough coming from the opposition. We saw that Gantz yesterday instructed Aviv Kochavi, the chief of staff, to prepare for what would happen in the West Bank should annexation go forward. Kind of, in a way, seemed like he was waving a white flag and letting Netanyahu go forward with his annexation plans. Gantz obviously also caved in to Netanyahu with coalition agreements. You worked with Gantz. How much does this surprise you? Because on one hand, he seems straightforward and honest, really wants to put Israel first. But on the other hand, some of these decisions, which clearly are not the best for Israel's interests, such as this annexation, it's something that it seems he's, he's willing to just let this pass without putting up a fight. As someone who's worked with him and now obviously now in the opposition, does this surprise you? It surprised me very much because I believed in Benny Gantz. I believed in Kahol Lavan. Uh, it was the, uh, the best alternative and the only alternative that we have uh, since last decade. And we are, you are talking about, you know, specifically about annexation. You know that all the uh, respected academic and research institution here in Israel and also in the diaspora around the world also have understood that we must seek a separation from the Palestinians. And seeing Benny Gantz and looking how he is just giving up, not just about this topic or just about this issue. Look about other laws that they are trying to legislate or they're trying to promote and talk about the French law. You know, they are trying to, they are talking about the French law to try to prevent uh, uh, charging a setting prime minister with a crime. You know, even the comparison between us and France is wrong because we are talking about uh, a two different uh, systems or two different uh, forms of government. They have the 
presidential one and we have the parliamentary one. So they are they they are now trying to legislate uh, a Norwegian law, it's trying to have uh, more MKs in the Knesset because they have much more ministers than MKs. Suddenly they they don't have uh, enough MKs to work in the Knesset. So you must put budget to more ministers and more unnecessary MKs. So not just in the annexation, um, uh, Benny Gantz gave up. In all the other topics, I didn't uh, see him fighting for the values that uh, that uh, was the reason of establishing the Cholavan. The started as the biggest promise, as the party that is going to change all what we are used to, and suddenly see it as uh, as uh, how Netanyahu said, the Cholavan is is a fake uh, fake party like Italy Express from from China. Suddenly to understand that, to see that, you know, I, I was shocked really, and I'm talking uh, at first as a citizen because I worked hard for this vision and for this party, and nobody knows what is going to happen really. We can see them trying very hard to work together, um, but they are not succeeding to do that. They are, they, they are not, uh, you know, all this uh, um, coalition that we have with the equality, with the same number of ministers, same numbers of uh, people or MKs in the committees. This is something that will lead us to a deadlock because finally you can understand that these these are. T- Two different sides that actually do not agree about anything, about any topic. So I cannot see how they are going to work as one government. So on that note, there is in this coalition agreement, there is a new secondary prime minister and Gantz is supposed to take over for Netanyahu in 18 months. This is all when Netanyahu is going through. He started his his trial last week. Do you expect this government to last? Or are we going to be at elections sooner than we know it? And do you think Yeshatit can be the party to maybe defeat Netanyahu? Um, I believe that we will have election maybe in one year. I don't, I, I can't see them really trying and uh, uh, working together as uh, as one government, as, uh, you know, the unity that, that they talked about it. Um, I believe yes, but yes, Atid, you know, we are going to be the next alternative because we stood against all these uh, challenges and we faced it successfully. And, you know, you are talking about this model of rotation. You know, there is no any other model like this in the world, in no other country. You cannot have two prime ministers. You You don't need it in any country, especially in Israel, in this complicated country. With these uh, challenges in the in the borders and with the domestic policy policy with the domestic uh, uh, challenges, we don't need two prime ministers. We don't need it, and the country and the citizens don't need it. And again, specifically when we are talking in a crisis, when you have more than one million people who are unemployed. So. We've discussed today a lot of the challenges that you were facing in your work as a member of Knesset. Is there something, before we close out, that you can share with us that gives you 
a sense of optimism or hope about the future, even in these really difficult times? Yes. The photo that um, came out of Israel last week and spread all, all over all over the world of a prime minister facing justice, I think um, that this is something that, you know, uh, bring with it uh, hope. And uh, it proved to me at first that uh, this is the powerful of Israel at the end of the day, because, uh, you know, a friend of mine from a nearby country, uh, he asked me uh, two years ago, what is happening to you in Israel? Are you crazy? You are talking about cigars and champagne. That's why uh, you are charging uh, your prime minister and talking about gifts. Look what is happening in the Middle East with the dictators and with the corruption. And I told him, you know, this is the power of Israel. This is the power of democracy. This is the power with the fact that nobody above law. And seeing the prime minister and, you know, instead or, or despite the fact and all the efforts that he made and the fact that he dedicated his work uh, last year in order to um, attack everybody and every person stood against him in his way to try to run against, uh, uh, to, to run away from justice. It was even the attorney general, that, that the Supreme Court and the judges and the police officers and even the, the media, the journalists that he accused them and he talked about the uh, pursuit and about persecution. Although all these efforts, seeing at the end of the day, prime minister facing and standing in front of the judges. I think that this is uh, the meaning of optimism. I really don't know how, what, what is going to be and what is the result and what is the decision that the uh, judges are going to, to make. But I understand that the fact that we have strong uh, Supreme Court, the fact that we have uh, judges and strong judges in Israel and justice in Israel, um, this is good because democracy, it is not just the rule of the people. It is also the rule of the justice, the rule of the law. Certainly something very important. And I think an image that can resonate a lot with our American audience today. Um, thank you, Ladia, for sharing your perspective and the important work that you're doing in Israel. And uh, I really wish good luck to you in, in everything that you're working to do. Thank you very much, uh, Evan and Eli. And uh, really, we are hearing what is happening these days in the U.S. And uh, take care. It's very bad to hear that. And I hope that everything will be okay. Thank you. And, and we're, we're wishing that all over the world, but especially yeah, now in the U.S. It's, it's, weird, it's weird to hear that now. Usually, we're, we're accustomed to saying good luck to, to you in Israel. But uh, yeah, it's scary. So thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Radir. Tadaraba. And to our listeners... And to our listeners, especially if you're tuning in from the United States, I hope that you're well, we hope that you're safe, and I want to thank you for your continued engagement with our work, especially considering what's going on. I mean, even with everything happening here in the U.S., there's also kind of an important juncture in what's happening in Israel, and it's also critical that we stay engaged with this work. So with that, I want to encourage you to continue to tune into this podcast. 
and also to keep signing up to join our Tuesday Annexation Watch video briefing series. Our next program is going to be on Tuesday, June 9th, 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific, the usual time. We're going to be featuring Alex Fishman, who is a security commentator for Israel's Yediot Achronot newspaper, and we hope that you'll join us. You can find registration information for that on our website, and we hope to see you there. So be well, be safe, and we'll catch you next time.